Well, guys, I'm excited. New Year's. Isn't this a good time? It's the end of the year. I'm actually very disappointed that we're not rolling around in hovercrafts. Remember Star Wars? You guys remember that? Thought for sure year 2007. Why are we not rolling around in hovercrafts? We're still on wheels. It's disappointing. But outside of that, it's exciting because it's the time of year where we can end it and, and just take stock of, man, what the Lord has done thus far. Or, man, what does the Lord want to do in my life? It's an exciting time. And I, I think a lot of Christians, uh, because their prior lifestyle during New Year's was uh, horrible, they pull back. And, and friends, you and I as believers should celebrate. Because God has sustained us. God has done so much in our lives, so we should be the ones celebrating. Amen? 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 So I want to hear about you guys celebrating, giving thanks and praises to our King. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And um, as, as believers, we can sanctify the time that used to be ill. The time that was, uh, you know, as, as so many think is, is uh, no, this is fun. We know that no. That's not true fun. That's fun with attachments. And the attachments, whether they be hangovers or whether they be uh, just devastation, that's not fun. Fun is engaging in the Lord and in seeking His face. Amen? Amen. For a lot of us, some of, well, not all of us, but some of you think uh, New Year's uh, football. How many of you out there? Don't be ashamed. Come on. It's okay. Just as long as you're not getting obsessed. Well, listen, when I was doing this study, I, I found myself Googling some stuff, looking for some information, and I came across this story um, 78 years ago, uh, 1929. The University of California of Berkeley, also known as, as the Cal uh, Bears, were playing Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl, which will take place tomorrow at C. There was a player for the Bears. Uh, he was a center. His name was Roy Regals. And um, he had recovered a fumble from Georgia Tech. And the guy recovers the fumble, and then he begins to run 68 yards in the wrong direction. Supposedly, I guess when he, got, when he picked it up, he somehow got spun around and he ran 68 yards. One of his teammates ran after him and tackled him right at the three-yard line because he was about to score for Georgia Tech. Imagine this guy. He was running thinking, I am the greatest. Because centers, I don't know if you know, if you don't know about football, centers, they never get the glory. They never get the victory. They never get to find themselves in the end zone going like this. Yes. So this guy, his eyes, he was like, oh man, this is good. Nobody around me, just my teammate. Here I go. <laughs> Luckily, his teammate tackled him, pulled him down. And then at this point, he's like, what's going on? For us, it's often the same running in the wrong direction, thinking this is the greatest thing ever. Until we're humbly, or the Lord sends someone on our own team that tackles us, and then in the, in the, the fumble of things, we look around and going, wow, 
What happened? How did this take place? How did I find myself running in the wrong direction? Any of you experienced such a thing? And, and, and the unfortunate thing is, is, is it, it brings such a, a weightiness. Can you imagine this guy? I'm told as I read the story that everywhere he went, he was known as Wrong Way Roy. Like it was a stigma attached to his life wherever he went. It even went as far as the saying that he would go guest speak places. I don't know what he would talk about. But no matter where he went, they would be like, oh, you're the guy that ran the wrong way at the Rose Bowl. Idiot. I mean, what do you say to a guy like that? Hmm. What happened? What do you say to a guy like that? But so often, it's the same with us. And I, I can't imagine the memories he has in his head of thinking of such a moment. You, you, you would think that like after the game, he's thinking, man, I wish this day could just start over. Just click a button, do something. You ever been there? I find myself there often. Um, as a father... I wish I could push rewind. As a husband, I wish I could push pause and say, okay, wait a minute, I'm about to say something stupid, and, and Lord help me, uh, let's push rewind. I remember growing up as a kid, uh, there's a vivid memory that I have, it's instilled in my head so, so vividly, um, it was my first arrest as a, as a, as a juvenile, I was, uh, I believe, 11 years old, unfortunately, um, I found myself in a lot of trouble in my youth. And uh, for some reason, my brother and my friend, we just thought we needed the things that are in that liquor store. It's 2 o'clock at night. Let's go see what's in there. We broke into the liquor store, and they're pushing things out of this little hole that we had uh, managed to, to, um, to create. And they're shoving things at me. I'm thinking, this, this, look at these things. That were just every, Anything they could see that would fit in that hole, they were shoving out until um, I saw the cop car come up. Its lights were on, and I froze, and instantly you begin to think, oh man, this is not good. And little did I, I mean, I mean this, this was crazy, because I remember as they told me to put my hands up and then get on the floor, I looked up on the building, and there was a whole SWAT team was there. There was two guys standing with rifles. There was dogs. This, the, 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 the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, they thought they had some criminals they thought, we are getting somebody. Little did they know, they were getting a bunch of little punks. But all this wasn't what would set uh, thick in my heart. It was sitting in the cell knowing that there was going to have to be someone to come pick me up. And that someone I feared a lot. And that was my dad. Because uh, growing up, I've gotten in trouble a lot for stealing things but never for breaking into a liquor store. And I thought to myself, I remember laying and closing my eyes just thinking, man, if this day could just start over, please, Lord, if there was a button, if there was ever a switch, if there was ever a way. And so many of us were at that point or have been that place or have put ourselves in that, in, in that uh, situation and friends, this morning, I want to tell you there is such a place. There is such a position that we can place ourselves in, and that is 
put ourselves in the place to receive God's grace. Amen? The grace of God is that place. A grace that not only forgives our past, but utilizes it to make us better than ever. Even from our sin, God can draw out good. Amen? What a wonderful God we serve. And this morning we're going to look at a man, and, and, and I, I believe the Lord would have a lot for us this morning at this last Sunday of the year. Turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 21. Or actually turn to uh, 2 Kings 18. We're going to start there. That way we get a good backdrop of who we're going to talk about. We're looking at the life of Manasseh. You guys there? It would help if I would get there, right? Listen, Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. The reason why I have you turning to 2 Kings 18 is because we get a really good idea of who Hezekiah was because he was the father of the man, the gentleman we're going to study today, and that is Manasseh. In uh, chapter 18, verse 3, it says of Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He had removed the places and broke the sacred pillars and cut down, <clears throat> excuse me, and cut down the wooden images and broke the pieces of the bronze servant that Moses had made. You see, um, Judah had fallen into wickedness and idolatry. And Hezekiah had come into reign, and in his reign, it says that he feared the Lord. And so what he had done is he begun a revival. He started to break the idols and, 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 and start cleansing the temple. He removed the high places. And then verse 5, it says, He trusted the Lord God of Israel so that after him none was like him among the kings of Judah, nor were there before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord had commanded Moses. Oh man, wouldn't that be sweet to be said of us? That we held fast to the Lord and not depart from following him and kept his commandments. That's what was said of Hezekiah. That is what was said of this man that, um, that <clears throat> Manasseh would call father. See, Hezekiah was responsible for a historic spiritual revival. And he didn't do it alone. He was in the company of Isaiah and Micah. And as the Lord would use Hezekiah, it was obvious and evident that the Lord was on his side. He had great favor because he found grace in the eyes of God, because he feared God, because he clung to the promises of God. He held fast to the Lord. 
And it was obvious that the Lord was for this king. We're told in in, in the accounts that um, many times the king of Assyria would attack. And on both occasions, uh, we're told that there was um, miraculous um, heal or, or excuse me, protection from the Lord God. Miracles took place. We read about it in Second Kings nineteen thirty-five. It says that night, the night of the final siege, an angel of the Lord went out and put to death a hundred and eighty-five thousand men in the Assyrian camp. And then, when the people got up the next morning, they were all dead bodies. The Lord had moved on behalf of Hezekiah. The Lord had honored this man's faith. The Lord had favor with this man. And the spiritual climate that I'm speaking of, this great revival, is the very climate which Manasseh had grown up with. Manasseh um, was one that was given the throne when he was 12 years old. He actually uh, was co-reigning with his father, but when he turned 22, his father died, and Manasseh would now take over the reins, and he would now govern Judah. He reigned for uh, 55 years, the longest rule of the history of both Judah and Israel. Manasseh had a godly father. He lived in a time of spiritual um, revival. He was tutored by the prophets Isaiah and Micah. And yet what is said of Manasseh is that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Let me read to you 2 Kings 21 and show you what what, what, what I've labeled the message Manasseh's mess. In the midst of this great work of God, Manasseh found himself doing evil in the sight of God. Having seen uh, the great hand of God move uh, in favor for his father, having seen his father have great favor, Manasseh did evil in the sight of the Lord. Kind of true today where we see obvious works of God, and yet people are, are, are part of that very work, and yet they drift away. How is that so? How can it be said of Manasseh? There was a spiritual revival going on. His, his father had removed all these false idols and brought revival back into the city, and yet when he takes over the rain, he takes them straight down to the gutter. How is that possible? It's so true today. The Lord is moving mightily. I can see it with my own eyes, the the, the very people that we are surrounded with, even here, the Lord is moving in miracles. Haven't you seen it, people? Is our God the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Is He? And He's still moving in the same way. Mighty hand of God, still desiring to move and doing just that, and yet people drifting away. Christians, people of the house of God, drifting away. How can this be? Well, listen. 2 Kings 21, 
says Manasseh was 12 years old when he'd become king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up the altars of Baal and made the wooden images as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He had built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven. In the two courts of the house of the Lord, also he made his sons pass through fire, practice soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of an Asherah that he had made. He put it in the house which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers. Only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that the, my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations which the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Wow. Manasseh had seen what the great hand of God had done through his father and paid no attention and led these very people who had experienced revival led them back down to the path of destruction he erected the the altars of Baal and he made an Asherah pole he worshiped the host of heaven he gave devotions to the sun, moon, and the planets. He built altars of false deities in the temple of which Jerusalem, where God had said, I will put my name. He made his son pass through fire, and that was a, a practice known as child sacrifice. He slaughtered more than one of his sons, as we read in the account of Second Chronicles 33.6. He, he practiced witchcrafts consulted mediums and spiritists. And the Hebrew text suggests that not only did he consult them, but he appointed them. And if this wasn't enough, the dirty king took a carved Asherah, which he had made himself. He took this pornographic post and he put it in the Holy of Holies. A post that would stand for all wickedness and complete a dirtiness. It was horrible. 
obscene, ugly. Nowhere was it heard that he feared and worshipped God. Far from it. Far from it. And friends, this is exactly what sin does. When you allow sin into your camp, it'll take you in a direction that you never thought would have gone. Life becomes a steep downhill slide. And just as John 8.34 says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And Manasseh was just that, a slave to his sin. Though at the time he thought, this is fun, this is great, what um, 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 achievements have been made? Not so. See, most of the time, sin is in control and you don't even know it. Sin was in control of him. It begins to overwhelm us and slowly it, it causes us to drift. Slowly it causes us to be deceit, uh, deceitful in our ways as well as being uh, completely and utter, utterly deceived. Our thoughts and our actions, our lips and our tongues, we lose control of all of them. We get carried away by greed and lust. Manasseh had gotten really deep into it, friends. Really deep. Where was God in all of this? Well, we pick that up in verse 10. Verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to his servants by the prophet, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him. And he has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem a measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hands of their enemies. And they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies, because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Do you understand what is being said here? God had saw all that was taking place and he's pretty much telling his people, I'm about to open up the biggest, nastiest can you've ever seen. All because of the sin of one man. Friends, what that speaks to me is, wow, my sin not only affects me, but it affects all that are around me. My sin I know for a fact affects my family, 
It affects my wife. It affects my daughters. It affects my son. I've seen it. Matter of fact, within this last month, the Lord has been revealing this, my son, is your sin and the repercussions of it. Humbling to receive such news. And yet we see this clearly um, as it says in 2 Kings 24. You don't need to turn there. But it, it declares surely all these calamities that has happened to Judah is according to the Lord's commandments in order to remove them from his presence because the sins of Manasseh and all that he had done. He led a whole nation into sin. If you don't think sin has its repercussions, ask Adam and Eve. We are recipients of that sin because of the fall of those first two. Sin, my friends, is very, very powerful. You sow a seed of sin, you're going to reap what? More sin. It's in the very nature of that whole idea of sowing a seed. You plant one seed, what is going to grow from that seed? Whatever you plant, if you plant an orange seed, you're going to get an orange tree. Are you going to get one orange? No, you get a whole bunch. That's the blessings of the Lord. But when you plant seeds of corruption, the same principle applies. It's not reproducing itself in, in, in one. It reproduces itself in many's. And this, my friends, I believe the Lord would have conveyed to us so that we know the severity of sin, that we might have a holy fear of our holy God and understanding that there is a responsibility as his children to know that sin, undealt with, is sin that will reproduce. See, because we all sin, right? You got skin, you sin. We're all sinners in here. But there's a difference between a repentive sin, a sin where you sin and you, and you deal with that sin right away. It's as if planting a seed and, and, and then seeing the, the wrong direction and pulling it out and saying, oh no, I'm going to fix whatever I can. That's the goodness of our God. But friends, a sin uh, that is planted and not dealt with is going to be nourished eventually. And it's going to have its way and its effects. God help us. And he does. Amen? Oh, the grace of God. But for Manasseh, oh, wow, what a mess he got himself into. The severity of sin. I like what Paul said in Galatians. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, brothers and sisters. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For if he who sows to the flesh will reap what? Corruption. But thanks be to God 
that we're given the privilege and the honor to be able to sow seeds of the Spirit. Thus, we will reap of the Spirit everlasting life. And I love what Paul says here. Do not grow weary in doing good, friends, for in due season we shall reap. So do not lose hearts. Do not give in. Do not give up. Because our God, as we, we begin to fill ourselves with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, man, we're going to be as Hezekiah. That the favor of the Lord will be with and upon us. But just know, friends, that if you're sowing little seeds of secret sins, don't expect the fruit from your life to be wonderful. Oh, it's so humbling. It's so humbling to see the failures of my daughter and to know that in many ways, I, I am at fault. We could easily say, well, wait a minute. The nation of Judah, they made the decisions to sin themselves. Yes, they did. But yet the Bible clearly indicates that it was one man that led them all there. And so I can rationalize in my own mind, well, my daughter's making wrong choices because she's been given that, that free will. But yet I have been given the privilege to raise her in the way of the Lord. You have been given the privilege to be called a son and daughter of the King of Kings. And with that calling is a responsibility to live our lives for Him. And when we allow secret sin into our lives, we're no longer glorifying Him, possibly leading people astray. Let us be careful, church, that we would learn vicariously from this man called Manasseh. It even gets worse, believe it or not. 2 Kings 21.16 says that Manasseh also shed much innocent blood, that it filled Jerusalem from end to end. Besides his sin, he had caused Judah to commit so he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Manasseh silenced the prophets. Josephus, the Jewish historian, reports of Manasseh. He slew all the righteous men that were among the Hebrews. Nor would he spare the prophets, for every day slew some of them until Jerusalem was overflowed with blood. That's what it's talking about in verse 16, the innocent blood that was shed. Outside of the sin of causing all these people to, to fall into, there was more sin. And that was what? Removing the prophets. There's a long-standing Jewish tradition that is reported that Manasseh was the one who put Isaiah into a log and sawed him in half. Wow. Who would have thought when he was 12 years old, this man who was speaking and standing for righteousness, who would be teaching him the ways of the Lord, that as years would come, as sin would progress, as sin would be allowed into his camp, ultimately would take his great teacher, put him in a log and saw him in half. Why would he do such a thing? 
because the man still stood for righteousness. And we do the same thing today. When sin is creeping into our lives, do you ever notice how you so easily begin to remove the things of God? Maybe our ways are not as bloody, but they still take us down the same road as Manasseh. Maybe they're not as extreme as Manasseh, but today I believe Christians and myself do the same thing. The Lord is wanting to speak, and because there's secret sin or there's some kind of issue in your life, you begin to remove the things that stand for God. The Word of God, desiring to correct, rebuke, and encourage us. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to sit down and read it. Why? Because your sinful nature says, no, feed me. The flesh says, feed me. The Word of God is trying to divert you from that direction. In modern ways, we remove godly people in our life. You see home groups, the, towards the end of the home group session, where? What happened to the people? Why are we just left standing with five? There was 20 of us that started. What is it? In a way, it's putting Isaiah in a log and it's sawing him in half. Because you don't want to hear the accountability, the love, just like that football player who was running, like, man, what are you doing trying to tackle me? I'm about to, you, you don't, you, uh. He needed to be tackled so that he could be shown that he was running the wrong way. So often we need to be told we're running the wrong way. And the Lord does that. He's wonderful. He's faithful in doing so. He's faithful in doing so. It's interesting because the story found in 2 Kings 21, uh, I just read verse 16, and it kind of it ends abrupt. Because it, it says that he, he uh, had shed the innocent blood. Verse 17, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he had did and the sins that he had committed, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Basically, to finish the story, we've got to turn to 2 Chronicles 33. Go ahead and turn there. You see, the purpose of First and Second Kings was to trace the decline of Israel and Judah to the Babylonian exile and to give an account of the reasons why the exile took place. But First and Second Chronicles, it had a different purpose, and that was to show the restoration. That's why you find in uh, Second and, and First Chronicles uh, a, a lot of restoring uh, stories, and the one we're going to be looking at is found in uh, chapter 33. And it uh, wonderfully finishes the story that we started. Uh, verses 1 through 9 kind of give um, a recap of what we just read in uh, 2 
kings. So I'm going to pick up right at verse 10. And it reads like this. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Why? Because again, Manasseh had successfully, in his eyes, had shut out all communications from God. Did away with the prophets. Did away with anyone who was fearing the Lord. I'll do away with those guys. And so, the Lord, therefore, brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, he implored to the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him. And he received his entry, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Isn't that amazing? Friends, I don't know if you know, that is beyond amazing. That is crazy. Lunacy. What the text is saying is God was trying to speak to Manasseh, but Manasseh was not listening. So what did he do? He humbled him. He allowed the captains of the army of the Assyrians to come. And we're told that they put hooks in his nose and drug him all the way to Babylon in a humility so that all could see. And they bound him in shackles. They bound him and they brought him. And what we see here in our text today, friends, is that is an act of a gracious God. You see, if you don't humble yourself in the sight of God, God will humble you. So the moral of the story is humble yourself in the sight of God so that you will not be humbled in the sight of God. If you have secret sin in your life, if sin has crept in or if there's any error in your way or if idols have snuck in, friends, make today be the day where I will render these things so that I will not be humbled. Allow this to be a wonderful story that you don't have to recreate. Let it be that you, in the early stages of your ways, acknowledge the need to repent and humble yourself. Because that, what we read in this text, is the pursuit of a wonderful and awesome and gracious God. Can you believe it? After the complete and utter nastiness of this man, the Lord loved him so much, pursued him in such a way. And when Manasseh humbled himself, what did the Lord do? Restored him back to his kingdom. Wow. 
Amazing. Amazing grace. Amen? Amazing. God loves us so much. He pursues us, even in our sin. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Will he ever leave us alone? No. He loves us too much too. He loves us too much. And more than anything, the Lord wants us to love him. He wants to surround us. It's his love and kindness that leads us to where? Repentance. Man, my prayer today is that repentance in this room would be grand. Oh, that there would be a sigh of relief. Yes, I can let go of these shackles. Repentance should be a wonderful word. Repentance should be a wonderful word. God waits for us. But if we're not willing to have his ways, he will let us have our ways. And then we'll reap the repercussions. And that's what happened. Read with me. Verses 11 again here. Therefore the Lord brought upon the captains of the army of the king of Assyria and took Manasseh with hooks, bound him, and carried him off to Babylon. Then, when he was in affliction, he implored to the Lord his God. And what? Humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to them, and he received his entry. God heard his supplications and brought him back to Jerusalem. God gave Manasseh a second chance. Amen? What a wonderful God. A God who was willing to give a second chance in such a way. It's almost too much to receive. Friends, when you're getting into trouble, when you're finding yourself going astray, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. For He will lift you up. He will draw near to you if you draw near to Him. Why is it so hard to humble yourself? Because it's against the flesh. The flesh says, no, the pride of man, I can do this. Even in a, in a twisted, weird, religious way, I can do what is right. I can do it. I can control this. Ay, 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 is what you should be saying. That's what happens when you use too many eyes. I can do this. I can do that. Ay, ay, ay. No, you can't do it. Can we? No, we can't, brothers and sisters. That's why in the age of grace we've been given this wonderful opportunity to repent and humble ourselves just as Manasseh did. And though the anger swept across God's face, he never turned his eyes away from Manasseh because Manasseh accepted full responsibility for what he had done. No denial, no excuses, no justification, no special pleading, no blame shifting. He knew what he had done wrong. Because our tendency is to make excuses for ourselves. 
thinking that God will never take us back. And so we need to minimize our sins. Friends, don't do that. Because true humility and true repentance requires full understanding of our wrong and full seeking to do what is right. And that's what we read in this account that Manasseh did. As he recognized what he had done wrong, we read in the scriptures to come that he began to restore what he had done wrong. That Asherah pole that he put in the Holy of Holies, did he leave it there? No. He removed it. He removed the things from the high places. He restored. It says uh, that, that he gave back. He took the foreign gods and he took them out of the house of God. And he rebuilt the, the, the altar of the house of the Lord. Verse 16 says, He repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed a peace offering and a thank offering. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord his God. You see, Judah would now take the opportunity to make things right. He would seize the opportunity. He would not take for granted the grace of God. See, God would now replace him and restore him back into the throne, but now he would take that opportunity to do what was right, and true repentance is doing just that, turning from what is ill and now moving to what is right. And so many times in Christianity today, we we confess with our mouths, but our lives do not show true repentance. Because we find ourselves back into the bar. Well, maybe just a few drinks here and there. But I don't want to become an alcoholic. I want to give it and surrender to the Lord. But I need when I'm watching a game. I just need one. And then it comes two. And then three. And then it's the ay ay ayes. Friends, that is not what the Lord has for us. That is not the best. Because, again... The fear of the Lord should ring true in our hearts that, man, my mess-ups are going to affect the people around me. But equally so, my humbleness and my seeking the face of God will now affect the people around me for the glory of God. Amen? Oh, may this be the time where we draw a line in the sand and say no more. No more phoniness, no more fakes, no more of this. When God calls you and shows you this is causing you to stumble, then friends, cut it out. Do as Manasseh did, because I believe he had saw the devastation of what took place. It caused him to now have a a, a right anger towards the things that were wrong. And the Lord restored him, because true repentance took place. The Lord shows you today... This is ill. That is wrong. Friends, take that as an opportunity to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Don't wait to allow the hooks of sin to grab you and pull you into captivity. Don't wait to devastation to take place. Humble yourself today. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Repent. Seek the face of God. This morning, we have a wonderful opportunity. 
we have a wonderful opportunity to give a sacrifice of praise, to rebuild the altar, so to speak. Come and fall on our face and say, Lord, if there's any wicked way, Lord, if idols have come into my life, reveal them to me. Do you think he wants to? Oh, we're told the spirit is willing. Oh, but let me let you know the flesh is weak. The flesh is saying, I got to go out these doors. I got to leave. I'm out of here. Because this is going to mess with my gig tonight. This message is messing with my gig tonight. But I'm telling you that true repentance will bless your nights. Amen. Amen. And so right now, as the worship team comes up, friends, you have an opportunity to deal with the flesh and with the Spirit. Oh, thank you, God. The grace of God allows you to humble yourself now. Seek repentance now. Seek the glory of God upon your face that you will now, as Hezekiah, as the restored Manasseh, Seek the fruits of your life to be glorifying to our Heavenly Father. Come, friends. Make the right move. Don't allow the flesh to say, uh-uh. If I get up and go up there, people are going to think things. Well, remember, we all established. We all got skin, meaning we all have what? Sin. We're all sinners in here. So I don't see a reason why all of us, when at some point in our time of a sacrifice of praise to say, God, I'm sorry. I know the Spirit is already revealed. I could easily have a list of, hey, here's the common things that plague our world today. There's no need for that because the Holy Spirit's already moving. He wants to touch the lives of His people because there is a revival to come. Just as in the days of Hezekiah, The Lord is wanting to move in our city, in our people, the people around us, in our families. Revival must come, but it only come if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are wonderful in all your ways. We read of this man and we think how disgusting. And Lord, we know that in so many ways we too are disgusting. And Lord, I know that your heart is not to leave us in that. Your heart is not to leave us in the miry clay, but you want to exchange beauty for ashes. You want to be faithful to complete the work you've begun in us. And so Lord, we ask that you would do just that. We give you and grant you all permission, Holy Spirit, to move amongst us in a powerful way. Lord, help us, because many of us already are struggling, and we ask that you would grant us the measure of faith to believe and to receive the grace of God. Come, move amongst us. Reveal in us. Show us our wicked ways Lord, that we might march into the year 2007 in the victory of the Lord, having had the hooks of sin and the shackles of the flesh removed. Lord, we want to walk now in the Spirit of God. We want to walk humbly, faithfully,
And we know this cannot be done on our own strength. So we call upon you, Holy Spirit, to baptize us afresh that we might now walk in according to your will, that we would honor and glorify our King, our Lord. Move here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.